0: TorahCafe.com
1: It's really important to have a, a compass in our marriage. And um, it's important to have a guideline in our marriage, especially in today's day and age. The whole institution of marriage is being shooken up to its very core. We're not really sure anymore what marriage is about. And so that's why... Uh, We've come up with this class. Goldie and I have, have been teaching uh, young couples for many years. Every year we have a chas and kala class. We usually have about 10 brides and grooms that, that come and study with us. And uh, we were teaching it to the brides and grooms. And then we realized that the brides and grooms is only the beginning. That really, it's, it's important. It's, it's almost like a continuous education you have to have. And um, it's not enough that you just, you know, driving. You need to have a license for it marriage people just get married without any classes without learning about it without studying anything so we based this class on some of the ancient uh, teachings of the torah some of the most beautiful teachings uh, one of the greatest wise people that we of all times was king solomon and king solomon wrote many books and one of his famous books was anyone know any name of the books of king solomon proverbs. book of proverbs what else song of Song of Songs. So that's what we're going to focus on. Song of Songs is a, an allegory. It's, a, it's an example of the relationship of God and the Jewish people as it is with a husband and wife. And so King Solomon speaks about a husband and wife in not one expression, but he uses in this book seven different expressions to express and to describe the relationship. And so we're going to go through all seven, and hopefully each one of these seven you will see. Each one is a, a, a powerful tool that we can all use in our marriage. And we're going to start with um, the, the, all the different terms. So the first one we start off with, if you have, if you have the handout, you give a look. It's on the back of the, yeah? So the first one is kalosi. What is the word kalosi or kalati, if you use the Hebrew Uh, expression, um, the Sephardic expression. What does kalati mean? Anyone? Kalati, oh, it says it, my bride, very good. (laughs) Excellent. So we start off with my bride, and my bride's going to say something about...
2: uh, Okay. So actually, I was coming back from uh, Ukraine two summers ago, and I was sitting next to a young Russian um, woman, not Jewish, and I was opening up my Tehillim, and she looked over my shoulder, you know, 13-hour trip, obviously. She had to sneak in a little bit and says, oh, what are you reading? Told her it's Psalms, it's uh, King David. And she says, oh, you're Jewish. We got to talking and she goes, what do you do? I say, I'm a Rebetzin, a Rebetzin, a Rabbi's wife. Go through the whole thing. 12 more hours to talk, so there's no rush. And she says to me, hmm, what what does a Rebetzin do? And I explained to her that we do a lot of counseling, we do a lot of parenting, we help our community. She goes, you know, that's why I've been so alienated, alienated from my church. She says, we have a priest. How does he know how to relate to us as women, as mothers, as husbands, as parents? What does he know? She says, I, I don't even walk into the church anymore. She goes, but it makes so much sense. It's so clear that in your religion, the leaders are there. We have the diaper problems. We have... The same issues with opening, closing windows because our husbands want the air conditioning and we want the... We all go through the same thing. We get it. We understand. And the funniest thing happened a couple of years ago when we were in Florida. We went to a sister-in-law's bar mitzvah. And it was the day before we were leaving. I'm sorry, Denise, if you heard this story a few times. And we were leaving the next morning back to freezing Toronto. And I said to my husband, let's just sit by the water for another hour. You know, enjoy the sunshine, the beautiful weather, the palm trees. And um, as we're sitting there, just for peace and quiet by the water, this very interesting fellow shows up with a whole can of a whole uh, suitcase full of beer and a carton of cigarettes. And I'm trying to say my Tehilla, my husband's saying a little bit of his Chumash. We're enjoying the relaxing, the sun, and he sits down right near us. And begins his marathon of drinking and smoking and drinking and smoking and smoking. And I'm thinking, you know, I have an hour left in Florida. I don't want to be stared at and to be, you know, viewed as an oddity. Finish your beer and go. And he does. He finishes beer, but he doesn't go. He comes and sits down right next to us. And he looks at my husband, and he looks at me, and he looks at my husband, and he says, hey, so I'm Jim. I'm a tree-hugging kind of guy. What are you? My husband says, well, um, Abraham, um, I'm a rabbi. You're rabbis. So what does a rabbi do? My husband tells me, you know, rabbi, we lead a congregation, we help our community, we try to give direction, connection to God. And I'm sitting there with my tichel. He looks at me and goes, hmm, so you must be the nun. <laughs> and I gave him a look. I said, uh uh-uh. uh. In Judaism, there are no nuns. I
1: could, t- I could tell you for a fact that I'm not married to a nun. <laughs> But there's, but there's none like her.
2: Uh, so, the first thing we want to talk about is why did God actually institute in relationship that there is that aspect of marriage, of intimacy, of bride and groom, of romance, of love? And why did we choose to take from King Solomon the first attribute of kaloti, of being a bride? What aspect of a bride and a groom, for that matter, is there? that is so crucial in keeping a marriage thriving and surviving and growing.
1: You know, one of the, one of the things that we, uh, we speak about, especially to the brides and grooms, um, one of the things we speak about, to the, especially to the brides and grooms, is about um, uh, the laws of Tara HaMeshpaf, so the laws of family purity. And we speak to them about keeping the honeymoon alive. That In a marriage, it's not good that you just get married, you're excited when you get married the first year, second year, you need to keep the honeymoon alive. Constantly, marriage has to be passionate. It has to be exciting. It has to be renewable. It has to be fresh. You can never take for granted one year, you know, just because you had a good year, last year of marriage, you always have to do things to make yourself look good, to make yourself look, you know, palatable to each other, and, and, and to, to, to keep the fire going, to keep the fire of romance going in your life. So we teach them about this, this old code in the Torah called Taras Hamashpach, which is family purity, where basically a husband and wife are together for two weeks, and for the next two weeks, on the onset of the period, they separate for two weeks. The woman goes to the mikveh and returns. So each and every month, there is a little bit of a separation. You're friends for two weeks, and then for the following two weeks, you're mad lovers. You're, you're, you're totally, totally... Uh, um, excited, with with the romantic side of marriage. So this is this is sort of the balance that comes into marriage. So we had this one girl that was in the class, and she looked very cynical about it the whole time. She's sitting there making faces. You know, we get this a lot of times. Uh, you know, just people that, like they're told you know go to the rabbi and rebbe's class, but you know don't listen to everything they tell you. So she was sitting there. and We saw that she was like she was she was really like. Very cynical about it. Yeah, she was like, you know, um, tossing her face and moving her hair and getting distracted. And at the next class, she came back totally inspired. And so we asked her, we said, what is it? What, what suddenly changed? Why last week you were so cynical about the things we said? And this week, it, she says, my husband. My
2: boyfriend, my boyfriend,
1: my, boyfriend, my future husband, my fiancé. Oh, my my fiancé. Now, she was, she was a pride. My fiance, he was—he's a tremendous thinker, and he's a psychiatrist, in one of the top um, psychiatric uh, places in Toronto. One of the great one of the big minds in Toronto. And I came back to my my husband, my future husband, not that day, and he asked me, "What did you learn?" And I told him this whole thing, and she says, "You won't believe what I heard. I heard this like wild idea." I'm sure you'll think it's crazy. We learned something about called family purity, that a woman, based on her cycle, every, every month separates from her husband. And there's no intimacy. There's no touching. For two weeks. And then the next two weeks, after the woman goes to the mikveh, she returns, and they start the relationship all the Two weeks on, two weeks off. And as she was saying it, she saw that like a, a light bulb went off in her husband's mind, her future husband's mind, and like something, something which she she, she said something that really sparked something. He says, You won't believe it, he said. He says, I have lots of people coming to me with marriage problems. And I never knew this wasn't the Torah. I never knew this was a Jewish idea. This is exactly what I tell them. I tell them two weeks on, two weeks off. <laughs> this is exactly my recommendation. I I, I always tell them, I I don't think it's a good idea when people are uh, with each other too close for too long, you need to have the renewal. And so she came back the next week and she says, you know what, we're going to keep it. We're going to do it. Because my husband understands it. And Baruch Hashem, you know, she's been keeping it for the last 15 years. They have lots of children. and uh, It's really worked out well. So we see from, from 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 this whole episode the importance, one of the deep secrets of the Torah of, of how to keep a marriage going is through these laws of Taras and Shabbat. Those who haven't learned it here, I uh, recommend you speak, you call up your uh, Rebetzin or rabbi and, and learn a little bit about it.
2: That's also interesting because we do a lot of the bridal courses for the brides and the grooms. And sometimes I look at them and they think, oh, you are so out to lunch there's no way we're going to need this in our relationship. Our marriage is going to be romantic for 50 years. You, uh-huh, you need it. But us? This is, am- I mean, this is ridiculous. There's no way. And so they sort of, it, I could just see them putting it in the back burner of like, this is not for us. Some couples need it. It's wonderful. God instituted in, in, in Judaism, but it's not for us. But then I have couples who come back three, four, five years later, and very, very, dis- dis- very discreetly will say to me, Goldie, remember we sp- learned this a couple of years ago, would you mind teaching it to me again? And it's my greatest pleasure. But I, one of the things I always tell them is, I'm giving you a gift, and I say to them, you know when you invite the rabbi and the rabbi to your wedding, big fat checks aren't coming. But one thing I'm going to give you is a beautiful gift that you will be able to cherish forever. And sometimes you know the gifts you stick in the basement, you don't open it until a couple of years after your marriage. I said, you cherish this gift, and make sure you open it because this is one tip that we will give you that will save your marriage from being okay to being super. And of course, every marriage as you go through it has all the ups and downs and is always, there are many interactions that come up in a relationship that have to be worked at, etc. But the number one f- thing I believe that really works in a marriage is that attribute of, as my husband said, the two weeks on, the two weeks off. The wife or the husband becomes that forbidden fruit It's the other woman that you can't have is your wife. And that desire, the God who created us, the God that created human nature knows. He knows that we need that, that I I want what I can't have. That's human nature. So God said, hey, don't worry. I'll place that right in the relationship. What you want, you won't be able to have for two weeks. And Hashem is so brilliant, the way he orchestrated that, that still gives you... The two weeks, the 18 days, or whatever the cycle is to be together. And as soon as the woman has her, her period, at that point they separate. And so the laws of tarot mishpacha fall into place. And we're not going to elaborate on it today. This is something that you have to learn. It's a few weeks of learning. It's very detailed classes of laws. But it's something very much worth looking into. And not after a couple gets married and says, oh, we'll look into this in 10 years. We begin this now so that we never have to get to that stage where... Oh, I think we better look into that mitzvah again. Hi, what's wrong with me? We don't want to get to that part. We want to
1: pre-understand what will make our marriage stay on the high. So we move on now to the next one. Achosi, achoti. Anyone know what that word means? My sister. Now that's, that's sort of an odd sort of a description of marriage. Um, you know, it's not customary to marry a sister. Why would King Solomon describe the relationship of the marriage? or marriage of the Jewish people and God as a relationship of a a familiar relationship uh, a sibling relationship, a sister any thoughts on that?
0: protector? I don't know protector,
1: Protector. anything else? anybody else? Natural. natural natural day to day interactions day to day interactions okay,
2: yeah Okay, Go good, good. So chesed,
1: chesed. yeah. Chesed, how? Commonality. Sisters, chesed, yeah. Sisters, chesed, sisters, chesed's Yeah. I think it's more than a friend. It, because a friend, you can change your friends, But a sister is always Oh. That's the, point we're, that's the point we're getting. So we're
2: she's saying a the sister. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Oh, okay,
1: Okay. so we're gonna try to talk up okay, a little louder.
2: So, no. The, the
1: crown. Oh, oh. okay. Ah.
2: okay, so the sister, you said you can't get rid of a sister. Sometimes you can get rid of a friend. But a sister is your blood.
1: Non negotiable.
2: Non negotiable. And I think that's what King Solomon, I, who was referring to when he talks about this non disposable, you don't get rid of a brother and sister. And though we hear from families who actually do, it is a very unlikely and it's not of a natural occurrence to get rid of a sibling. A sibling is ours, and children are, are ours. You know, when my Zalmi was born, and our Zalmi, who's eight years old, was born with Down syndrome, it wasn't like my husband and I looked at each other and said, all right, we're gonna give Zalmi a year, we're gonna throw him into therapy, and if he can walk and talk at one years, we'll keep him. Zalmi was non-negotiable. is non-disposable. Zalmi is family. And he's with us for life. King Solomon's trying to tell us here, our marriages are non-disposable. We don't throw out a barbecue today without thinking twice. Disposable, our ovens, our stoves, our homes. We get rid of things easily. We are in the disposable generation. But a marriage is non-disposable. And we have to work with our spouse and get the help we need to make it work. Another very important example would be an infection in your hand. Your arm is infected. What do we do? Do we run to the doctor and say, do me a favor? Can you amputate the arm? I have another one. And it's really bothering me. And it's in, it's in the way. And I can't. Go to You Go to one doctor. To the other doctor.
1: Thanks Please. thanks a lot, Goldie. Thanks. Thank you. Is <laughs> that what you think of me?
2: We do what we have to do to bring in the help that we need to make sure our hand thrives and survives and becomes healthy again.
1: You know, one of the, uh, we all know that at a wedding, the most fun part, which everyone enjoys so much, is the Sheva Brachot, right? Everybody loves Sheva Brachot, especially if you have it for seven days, it's, it's very exciting. But as many times as you've heard Sheva Brachot, you always learn a new nuance of what exists in those seven blessings, the seven blessings of marriage. So one blessing is, may this couple be blessed to be like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. To be like Adam and Eve. Now, why would anyone think? Why would we, you know, say they should be like Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve was sort of a dysfunctional family. I mean, like, if you look at them carefully, you see, like, you know, they had like a lot of issues. There was a serpent there, and and then she was convincing him to eat from a tree he shouldn't have eaten from, and and then then their kids, like, you know, there was like had one son that was a murderer. Uh, the other one that was a victim. I mean, why would we give a blessing to a bride and groom to be like Adam and Eve? Out of, out of everyone? Any, any thoughts? We should say like Abraham and, and, and Sarah, like, uh, like, like all the other great matriarchs and patriarchs. Why choose Adam and Eve? Anyone? They
2: still stay together. There's nobody else. Still stay together? Uh, yeah, that's... You say it again?
1: Say it again, out loud.
2: There's nobody else. Exactly. There was nobody else.
1: There was no other bride for Adam besides Eve. There was no other Hussan for... Every couple needs to learn from Adam and Eve. When you get married to each other, you're soulmates, you're like one, and that has to be the attitude. The attitude when you go into marriage is, we will make it work. It's not, it's not something, you know, we have a sign in Toronto, we were passing, people sometimes put signs on, on lampposts. And we saw over there. There was a sign. It says, It said over there, uh, divorces two hundred and ninety nine dollars. <laughs> <laughs> in New York too, they have said it. incredible. Same
2: company.
1: Oh, who ever heard of something like that? That, that advertising divorce? And Judy, of course, divorce is an option, and we know that in certain cases you have to have a divorce, and it's a to have a divorce in certain situations. It's the Torah, you know, gave an option for divorce, but it's not something that we we don't get married. We don't make a prenuptial with with the intention of, of of getting divorced the next day or the next week. Fortunately, today with Hollywood and things like that, with people having seven husbands and wives, and and it's it's become it's become a whole a whole style. But marriage, the second thing is achoti it needs to be it needs to be something. You go into marriage, you say, "I am going to make this work." That's it. And so that's the second. Uh, secret of marriage, is achoti, that we, we view our spouse as permanent fixtures. And, and this is who we were married to and we'll make it work forever. The third one, the third one is, what's the third word? Rayoti, my friend. Yeah. What, what would you say my friend means?
2: What kind of relationship do you have with a friend that's different than akala and different than achoti? Can you tell them? You tell them things you don't tell anyone else. Like interests. Like interest. You could be yourself. You could be yourself. Where you are. What else? There's more to friends. You we all know. Them. You chose them.
0: I have just, I'm sorry, just a little objection to the idea of my friend, although of course I'm not objecting to confound mm-hmm. mm. But often in marriage, a woman, I believe it because I'm a woman and I can't for it, thinks she's getting a shopping partner somebody to go to the different things that she likes, etc., etc. And I've learned over our wonderful years of marriage that, and it took a long time for me to learn it, that my husband is not going to be like my girlfriend. But all girlfriends don't have the same life season. That's very true. But in in my way of thinking, Mm -hmm. my friends that I've chosen are people who
1: like to do the same thing. So so when when we say that to be a friend, we're not talking about someone that you go out together bowling with. That's not, that's not the, the, the intention, or boating, or... I mean, that's important, too. It's important to do things together. When we say over here, a friend, what we're talking about is common goals, shared goals. Well, Sometimes you have husbands and wives, they come home at night, they're so sick of their work, they don't want to talk to each other about it. So they don't share their lives with each other. And really, a spouse should be not only a, a marriage partner, but a confidant. Someone that you, you feel comfortable opening up with in everything. And that you respect their opinion sure. on the things that you do. So sometimes you have, you know, like, Goldie and I are very fortunate. We both are shluchim of the Rebbe, so we're busy 24-7. We talk all day together. We breathe the same things. We, we, we deal with the same issues all day long. But most people don't have that sort of setup. You know, you might have a husband that's a doctor and the wife, let's say, is, is, a, is a professor, a lawyer, whatever. Or oh, you have the husband's a housewife and the, the, uh, the husband, the husband the wife is, 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 a, is a, an accountant, whatever. Whatever it is. So they come home at night and they've had enough at their work. And all day at work they were talking to, to, the, to their friends there. They come home at night, they're marriage, marriage partners. So they don't discuss with each other. Now there's a story that's told of the of the uh, Lababacher Rebbe, uh, his wife, the Rebitson Rebitson Mushka, was a very modest, quiet lady. She didn't really show herself in public much. But those that knew what went on behind the scenes knew that at night the Rebbe used to come home sometimes three, four in the morning. Rebutson was up. She always had their cup of tea. Hati, to sit down with the Rebbe and discuss his day. And he would discuss her day. And they would transfer ideas and give each other ideas about the things that were important in their lives. So they, they maybe didn't spend so much time throughout the day together, but at night, they spent a few minutes, not just as kalati, not just achati, but as rayati, as a close friend, close friend. And,
2: and, uh... I think there's another very important aspect as well uh, with a friend, and those of us who have good friends who'll we'll go out with for a coffee or we'll go on a vacation with, we know that with our friends, we're quite careful with the terms we use when we talk to them. Because if we criticize them too long, you know what, honey? They're gonna find another friend. They really are gonna find, because there's a lot of other girls out there who are looking for friends and a lot of other men who need friends. They're not gonna handle and they're not going to accept too much of your fetching and criticizing. So we have to view our spouse in the same way. How do we package, when I want to tell my husband about a suit he bought, and I might want to say to him, I'm not crazy about how the suit looks, huh. right? I could t- I'll tell a friend, you know, okay, you got a new suit, I like it, but you know, I think a different color would look better and maybe a bigger size or a smaller size, you might want to tell. I'd be so careful of how I would tell my friend how, but the husband, oh, that suit, you're wearing that suit again. How could you put on such a suit? I'm not going anywhere with so of you suits. Why is that? With a friend, we're so careful, we watch our words, and we're so respectful, and with our spouse, we just say it as it is. Sometimes we're nicer to our friends than we are to our spouse our Yes, yeah. it's exactly it. Yes. Yes. Uh,
0: it's so true.
2: Thank you for bringing that. Uh, Hashem should give you a lot of happiness. But that's something that we always have to remember. We have to remember that we are so careful with our friends and we tiptoe around and we're so complimentary. And yet with our spouse, we take things for granted and we can't let that go on. We have to really, I think we have to take this and just put it on our fridge because I think we need a daily reminder that our spouse is not just something that's there throw a broom in his hand or throw the diaper in his hand and give him the credit card bills. It's something that we have to constantly be working at and reminding ourselves, this is my best friend. He is my best friend. And I will talk to him even nicer than I talk to my friends because I cherish him so much more.
1: And so now we come to number four. Number four is a hard, harder Hebrew word, not so popular. What are the, word, what are the words say? Tamosi or in the... Oh, Yonasi, sorry. Okay, it's also a hard Hebrew word. Yonasi what does the word Yonah Yona mean? Anyone? My dove. It sounds very affectionate. Uh, King Solomon speaks about the relationship, uh, lovey dovey or something. ever that expression? Yeah. So what is special about the bird called the dove and about its relationship? Anyone?
2: set it free but it comes back. Yes?
1: It's a bird of peace, correct? That's right. It's a sign of peace.
2: The dove is the bird that leaves its nest but always comes back to its partner. protect. Okay, so we have a lot to say about Yanasi. Yanasi is about loyalty. It's about faithfulness. And I think this might actually answer the question that I opened up this afternoon. Do we accept the Facebook offer? Do we Facebook. accept the Facebook offer, or do we press delete? We're going to talk. Yes?
1: I trust my way very much.
2: To
1: really that's why I said okay. before, But You're, your you're, 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 no, you're a unique, unique couple So that's why It works with you but, but when we create laws And that's what the Torah does The Torah creates laws I don't, um, I don't know if many of you are familiar with There's a particular law in the Torah uh, Known as the laws of Yichud Can okay, uh, I just interject uh, for a second? You want to interject? Okay. That's, uh,
2: I'm hearing something over well. here And you're saying you trust 100% the beauty about Judaism is not what I feel is appropriate, is what goes. The beauty of Judaism is that there is guidelines and there is halacha, And halacha determines our choices. And so even if we trust implicitly our spouse, there are guidelines in halacha that will tell us how we have to behave. Can I go out with my ex-boyfriend for coffee? Can we go out? Can we? Can I go with my business partner? And I'm not talking about myself. I, my business partner is right here. But can I go out with with a with my colleague on a, a, a business assignment? Well, it's just me and a male. And my husband trusts me. My husband can trust me as much as he'd like. But Torah has something to say. And as a Jew, we are obligated to see what does Torah say about this business arrangement. What does Torah say about this trip I'm about to take? It can't just be. Something that solely rests on my decision. We have to see what is the Torah saying. So I it's refer not, back to you.
1: It's, it's, it's objective, not subjective. So one of the good things about following a, a halachic code uh, is that you could always blame it on the halacha. It's not. It's not like, like if for two weeks, what we mentioned before, of of being friends as opposed to being, let's say, lovers. Um, in those two weeks in in a in a secular set up where there is no code. Well, you don't want to be with each other. You want some of your own space. That's selfish. Because, what do you mean? We should be together 24-7. We've we got married. But when the Torah imposes that rule, it becomes, it's, it's not me, honey. It's, it's the law. And the same thing applies to the laws of um, modesty. The same thing applies also to the laws of of yichud in the workplace, and I was just touching on it a little bit earlier. There is a Jewish Jewish law known as yichud that a man and a woman should not be alone uh, in a room, uh, whether it's uh, obviously unless it's a husband and wife, um, and, or a father and 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 uh, and uh, a daughter, and vice versa. Should never be alone uh, in in a, in a room uh, in the workplace, etc. So, you know. A lot, of, a lot of affairs have started that way. Every, every affair has started with one of those intimate moments. Now it doesn't mean that every couple that's going to be together alone in a room, something's going to happen. But today, even the, the, the medical field have rules that a gynecologist have to keep, has to keep the door open or there has to be someone else there that can walk in, or a nurse has to be right or a nurse has to be there. So we see you need to create sometimes laws which protect these things, and the Torah has a whole group of laws, which again, if you have some opportunity to read it, the laws of Yichud, it seems a little bit strict. But, but really, uh, we're not talking about... You know, of course, there are some very honest, integral people that you can put them all alone on an island with somebody, and they'll be okay. But Laws are made for average people, and, and they're made straight across the board. So there's no suspicion, and there's no, there's no anything going on. And, and this is an important idea to, to comprehend. Therefore... When we talk about halacha, now, I don't know if the laws of Yichud apply to Facebook. You know, that still has to be uh, developed, all those thoughts. But, but unfortunately, I can tell you something, that in our community, um, I've had many divorces that have come as a result of Facebook and emails, um, texting, where one spouse left the computer open and the other one walked in, and that was the end of the marriage. Um, but it's not just that. Uh, it's the time they spend on the iPad or the
0: tech theme and the, mm-hmm. the Facebook that's taking it away from the whole family. Right, right. So they get involved so involved. they have got 5,000 friends that they got to keep up with.
1: <laughs> uh, t- to, it takes away time from the marriage, yeah. too. Yeah, that's so true. But there is, there is this concept of, of, of yichud, which is not to be alone with someone. In a room. Now, maybe when you're on the computer, that's also today a modern form of being alone with someone in a very intimate way. And today we, we, we know that that is a form of, it's almost a form of intimacy. So perhaps the laws of Yichud should be expanded to those laws. I
0: was just saying, I'm not married yet, but I'm saying in terms of your trusting which I think is very nice, I would trust my husband, but I also wouldn't want him to make that decision to opt to go out with an ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. or choose, like I'm hoping he would make that
2: choice to delete versus to accept, because ultimately it might be a Facebook friendship, but, but there is a concept of friendship in that matter, and once you've reached the point of beyond friends, you can't go back. So I think just to say, oh, well, it's my ex-girlfriend, I'm just seeing what she's doing now, what she's up to, I think you, know, you can't revert back to that once you've been in a relationship with someone. That's why they call it an act.
0: I once heard Rabbi Manus Friedman say something said, that stuck with
1: me so much. Hold a little. I can't hear. I
0: thought the, I thought my only one who can't hear. Rabbi yeah. Manus Friedman once said something at the retreat that I will never forget. It was so astounding to me and so simple. He told a story about <laughs> told a story about a boy and a girl who were going away on a camping trip and they were going to sleep together in the same sleeping bag with <laughs> other couples.
1: I? No, 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 no. All my community. That was our, that was our so, next story. He, so he said, so
0: the, they came to him, and they said, Rabbi Freeman, what's wrong with that? We don't have any feelings to each other. just that we need to share the sleeping bag for whatever the purpose is. And he said, oh, I feel so sorry for you. I feel so sorry for you that you think that you can get into that sleeping bag together, and you're not going to have feelings. That is not the way Hashem created us. So... I just me. Such
2: a yes. it's, it's amazing that you brought that up. I did not realize Manus Truman told this story because um, this happened a couple of weeks ago. We brought out a guest speaker to our community and one of the moms came to me the next morning. She goes, oh, I can't believe I missed hearing so-and-so. I said, really? How do you know him? She goes, oh, he, before he was religious, he was my husband's, my brother's best friend. I said, oh, that's so nice. She goes, not only that, we used to go camping together and me and him would share a sleeping bag. I said, Robin, you shared a sleeping bag with an 18 year old boy and you're 16 years old? She goes, Goldie, what's the big deal? I said, what's the big deal? And here I am trying to run a preschool and I'm catching the mother in the hallway and she doesn't know what's the big deal. I said, the big deal is that when you're 16 and you're sleeping with a boy in a sleeping bag at 18, there should be feelings. Sh- you shouldn't be able to sleep. I said, that's not healthy. That's not normal. That's why couples are running to sex therapists because their, their, their thrill, their, their love, their romance, their intimacy has been squelched. It's been It's been dead. We are desperate now, our, our, our generation is looking for things. We're running to adult toy stores to find things to keep our marriage thriving and growing and active and excited. We have to run to the most exotic resorts because it's not happening in a relationship. in Himmel. But not all men and women are physically attracted to
0: women.
2: Right, however, right, people, however. <laughs> but we don't, but that's the point. But if we allow 16 and 18-year-old boys at, at, at a young age, to squelch that, if this is just my boy, my friend, my brother's friend. There's nothing. You're you're curbing an appetite that is not natural, and it might eventually. Listen, we have. I've gone through so many young couples that I've been counseling. i I've, I've just uh, taught a, a bride who tells me we're getting married, but you don't have to bother teaching me the laws because we're not going to be sexually involved. This is not a Sexual relationship. <laughs> so you could just t- tell me the laws before I go to the mikvah. I don't need the rest. It's an agreement it? we made. Brother and sister. What is They're brother? both not interested. And I said to her, I said, Do you think maybe you need to go see someone? She goes, We've gone. And then something struck me. And I said, You know what? I bet you, if you made a decision that you will keep this mitzvah, the Sahara is going to get very busy and then suddenly you're going to find you want to be with your husband during those two weeks that you can't, and this might be the answer to all your problems. I haven't heard from her again, but I have to tell you that I do feel that we are living in a society where we're told everyone to curb down, curb down. We have to allow ourselves the appropriate expression in the right frame, with the right person, in the right time, and having our boundaries, and allowing ourselves to express ourselves in the, in the utmost opportunity, in a way that we can be natural and happy so that we don't have to have our teenagers and tell him, you can go out with John, you can sleep in a sheer boyfriend, but don't do anything. So that when you eventually do get married, then you've been so used to suppressing, it's not natural anymore to allow yourself that freedom. I think that's what our generation is struggling with. Um. So
1: we go, we go back to my dove, right? Part of dove is, is being faithful. Being faithful and loyal means not only um, just being loyal in terms of being loyal husband to wife, wife to husband, um, but it also means in, in consideration of other people. In other words, sometimes we sometimes in a conversation, in a casual conversation, we'll sometimes try to be nice at the expense of our, of our spouse. Sometimes, like, I was just standing the other day at the... Uh, grocery store it was at the checkout counter, and uh, there's a woman standing right in front of me, and her uh, debit card uh, didn't work. And uh, she turns to me, and she, she, and she sees me looking at her, and she, she takes out, okay, I'll try my credit card. She tries her credit card, and the credit card also didn't work. And... Um, she tries, she tries every, every piece of plastic she has in her pocket. And the whole line the line is getting longer and longer. And she's so, she's so embarrassed. She turns to me and she says, that's my husband. He doesn't pay his bills. That's my husband. He doesn't, he doesn't put any money into the bank. And then he embarrasses me like this in front of everyone. So what was happening here was that this woman was prepared to embarrass her husband right, to save, her. To, save her, to save herself. What, what, is, what, is, what does this tell you? This tells you something about, about loyalty. Loyalty, you know, I'm just a stranger. I just happen to be standing behind her line. Why does she have to feel that she has to explain it to me? But she's ready to knock her husband in order to protect, in order to, to save herself. So that's, that's what we call loyalty. Loyalty, like the dove. The dove is always always loyal. Yes, question. Correct, 100%. Should he
2: not have the same responsibility and not embarrass his wife? In other words, putting the money into the bank. Yeah,
1: of course not. Of course, of course, of course. But, but if, 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 he was, if he was there and making a statement, he shouldn't be making it to me. He should be making it, you know, they should be talking to each other about it. It's not something that you pull other people into the conversation and, and, and win points by knocking your spouse.
2: That's right. Yeah. You know, we talk about when we go under the chuppah, so the custom is that we go around seven times. The bride goes around seven times around the khatan. <clears throat> and one of the beautiful insights that I've seen on this is that usually the bride will go and she'll have her parents and they'll follow the groom, they'll go around the groom seven times. And then after the seventh time encircling her groom, she actually stands next to him. And I try to sort of make the picture to the brides that I'm teaching and I say to them, You're going with your parents, and you're surrounding your future husband seven times, and then you leave your parents on the side, and you enter that circle. And now you and your husband are standing in a circle, exclusive to everyone else. And I think that exclusivity is something that we have to remember when we're entering a marriage. We love our parents, we love our siblings, we love our friends, we love our neighbors. But after we get married, we are pledging exclusivity Exclusivity means that it's me and him, exclusive to everyone, exclusive to everyone else. It's exclusion of everyone else, thank you. It means that we, our first allegiance is to our spouse, and even if I look ridiculous standing in the supermarket and my face face is blushing, it never happened to us, and my face is (laughs) blushing because there was no money in the bank, but my husband's and my feelings are our priority.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Okay, This is what we have, to, we have to go back and remember. Sometimes it's easier to laugh and say, oh, my husband, he's such a... You know what he did last time? Why? So that we want to get a laugh. How many times are we sitting at parties, going out for a coffee? This is, happens everywhere. And at the expense of a spouse, we'll make a joke. Oh, my husband, he can't build a, a deck. He's got two left hands. What? You're making a joke about your husband because you want others to laugh? Is that what a relationship is about? Is that what a marriage is about? Oh my wife, she would never wear that. She can barely stand on her own two feet. What? And these are such s- s- sensitive points that we sometimes don't even realize. We're living in a culture where TV and movies are constantly laughing and poking fun at, a- at another. Do we realize what's happening to us? We are internalizing the society into our homes. Jewish people, we're not supposed to be affected. We're supposed to live on a higher level. We have a Torah that's telling us how to talk, how to relate. We can't constantly be looking at what others are doing and think, this is appropriate, this is right. It's not. Our spouse comes 1st team. We are a team, and we have to strengthen and identify with each other in every situation. And even if I know that what I'm about to say is going to get me the biggest laugh, you bite your tongue because the marriage is first. And that's what Yonasi is. That's faithfulness.
1: And now we come up to number five, which is the word Tamat. Oh, well,
2: there's one thing I forgot. <laughs> there's a pasuk in the Talmud that I love, and it took me about three years to get it straight. Ten more minutes. No, oh my gosh, it's five that's to why one.
1: I suggested to move to number five. Oh
2: my gosh. Okay, I'll say it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> It goes like this. Ein apotropos laroyas. what? What does it mean? Ein apotropos laroyas. Rabbi Darren, what does that mean? There's no preventing. There's no preventing. There's no preventing. Relationships. That are forbidden. forbidden relationships or, or inappropriate intimacy. That even at the age of 90, I have to tell you, my father in law came to visit last year and he was collecting for, the, for yeshiva in uh, Russia. And I came home from work, and my father-in-law was there. My father-in-law was, 92 years, uh, was 82 years old. And he was home, and Yehud tells me, I'm not going to be in the same house alone if my father-in-law is there. But my father-in-law is 82 years old. But you know, the laws of Yehud still stand. And so I had to make, put, put down some lunch for my father-in-law and leave. And my, the women in my class, when I was home, they said, But Goldie, he's an old man. Ain't patrapos la royus. We don't put ourselves in a situation that might lead us, even if we never would. But if a Torah puts a guideline and tells us this is inappropriate, we don't question we don't challenge. We have a little bit of humility and say, God knows best. Okay, sorry, let's finish up. Five more minutes. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah you could do that. Okay. okay, you're fussy. Contact a competent rabbi for the particular laws.
0: Yeah.
1: At number five, tamati. What, what does the word tamati mean? Tamasi, my perfection. This is my perfection. Perfect perfect spouse. The perfect of everything. So we say uh, the word tamasi also means, comes from the word ta'umati. Uh, the Talmud tells us Tumati means my twin. And that husband and wife are, as we say, soulmates. You know, Adam and Eve, we mentioned before about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created as an androgynous creature. They were both together. They were attached at the rib. And God separated them at the rib, and then they became two people. The same way that it happened on a physical level, it also happened on a spiritual level. Adam and Eve were one soul. And God separated their soul at the the rib. And then God told them, yes, you separate, but now now you shall come back and be one flesh. And so it is with every marriage, the person you meet is your bashert, is your soulmate, and the, the two are like puzzle pieces that belong to each other. They're like twins in the womb. They are made for each other and are there for each other and are perfect for each other. Now, how they're perfect for each other can be sometimes in different ways. Some people it's a perfection, others it might be a correction. Right? Others, you know, sometimes a person has to, you know, sometimes couples are very much, you say, very much alike. Two
0: pieces
1: And, and sometimes, two pieces apart, and, and sometimes they complement each other. Okay, they're different personalities, and that's their in life, to deal with the differences. Uh, but regardless, they are soulmates, and they are meant for each other, and, and, are, and are, are, are there for each other. And uh, that's what the Talmud writes, that 40 days before a child is born, there's a voice that's called out from heaven and says, the son of such and such shall marry the daughter of such and such. This is what we call the concept of? Bashert. 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 Exactly. And why why is Bashert so important? Why is the concept Bashert? Because we know that there are three partners in marriage. There is God. There is the husband and the wife, three partners. Now, it's a sort of a Jewish trinity, if you can call it that. Right? You have three partners in a marriage, but that's sort of like, you think about it, like, why would you want another partner in marriage? Why? It's sort of intrusive to have a third partner in marriage. One of the most beautiful ceremonies under the chuppah, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of times women tell me that they're a little bit offended by the chuppah, because, uh, you know, in many secular places they have a... a uh, Ring ceremony where they swap rings. The the, the groom gives the bride a ring and the bride gives the groom a ring. And in the very traditional Orthodox marriage, the way it was going way back, there's only one way the husband places the ring on on the bride's finger. But I always explain that really there is a lot of symbolism that goes on under the chuppah. And really, while the groom gives one ring to the bride, the bride really gives seven rings to the groom under the chuppah. And that is when she walks around seven times, seven times. So she also is symbolically giving her circle of life, her soul, infusing it into the marriage. So the Rebbe once explained that there are three partners in marriage, and each one plays a role in the marriage. The bride infuses her soul into the marriage by going seven times around her groom. The groom infuses his soul, his circle of life, his ring, by giving the bride, the golden ring under the chuppah. And the third partner, which is Hashem, is symbolized by another ring that's in the chuppah, a circular, What's, what else is circular in the chuppah? Is the canopy over the chassan and kala, which that is the chuppah. And that is symbolic, again, of God, the third partner fusing into marriage. And why is, that, why is that so important that there's a third partner in marriage? And here comes an important, very important thing. When we walk into a house, we give a look at the door, and what do we see? We see a mezuzah. Which, how, does, how is a mezuzah stationed on the door? Is it, is it vertical or horizontal?
0: Yes,
1: it's, it's at an angle. In most places, in Ashkenazi places. As actually put it. But I'm going to go with the, with, the, with the Ashkenazi custom. And that is to put it at an angle. Now, why an angle? Why is the mezuzah an angle? Why isn't it one way or the other? And the answer is that the great rabbis had a great debate in the Talmud. And some said they should put the, have the mezuzah vertical. And others said it should be horizontal. So what did the great rabbis come up with? They said, you're both right. right. You're both right. And what did they do? They placed the mezuzah on an angle. And this is, this is extremely important. That the moment we walk into the house, a husband or a wife walk through that door, they remind themselves of the great compromise, of the great humility of the rabbis, that they were able to come to a, an agreement, a compromise in their marriage by not a, each one could have walked down and said, I'm right. And the other one goes, I want it horizontal, I want it vertical. No. Rabbi said, you have to have compromise. And that is what the third partner marriage represents. That most of the problem in many marriages today is that people say it's my way or the highway, right. and it shouldn't be that way. It has to be a joint, a joint thing. And there's a third component of marriage, which that is represented by the mezuzah. Is that when you walk through that door and you kiss the mezuzah, you say to yourself, "If the great rabbis could have found a way to work out their differences, the great spouses in this home can also work out." Their differences. And that only comes through the belief that there is something greater than the two of us. And that is Hashem. And that is the way that we, we come to compromise. That's a great Go ahead. And now we come to the final thing because no, the. Too much. Two more. Oh my gosh. What have we got?
2: So we have your Fassi which is my beauty. And there are two points that I want to, we wanted to bring up about the, the beauty. First of all, there's, of course, we know the custom of Rachel and Leah. Right? We have, when we have a badechen before the wedding, the beautiful custom of the covering the kala. So the question is? are you Rachel. So the question is, why does the groom cover the bride? We know that the whole tradition comes because Leah was the woman that was brought in. She was the bride that was given to Jacob, even though he thought he was getting Rachel. So today, we sort of have this tradition that if We want to double check, make sure the groom is getting the right wife, we check and we cover her. But in reality, there's a lot more of a deeper understanding and meaning to the covering of the badecken. When a groom comes, how many of us have sat by weddings and we see the most beautiful bride, and then the chasen comes, the groom, and he's so handsome. You look at this couple and you see such beauty. And yet, Baruch Hashem, we age, right? Thank God we age, what's the alternative, right? So Baruch Hashem, we age. And the the groom, comes to the bride and he looks at her and he says, you are beautiful, you are radiant, you are shining. But I'm covering this up because I'm not only marrying you for your external beauty, I am marrying you for your inner beauty. And every one of us has that inner beauty. And although as we age, Baruch Hashem, the wrinkles appear and the extra weight and whatever all the other blessings we get, which is fine and it's normal and it's healthy and it's the way it should be. But we know that the beauty that we're referring to here is not only the external, it's the internal, looking at what we really marry. The beautiful attributes, the kindness, the sensitivity, all the wonderful things. We're counseling a couple right now who's married almost as long as us. And it's devastating to see how they're struggling with a lot of issues. But one of the things I said to her, I said, Let's say her name is Leah. I say, Leah, do you remember when you and your husband got married? Do you remember when you stood under the chuppah? Do you remember the love, the feeling you had for him? Can you feel that once again? Can you get into your heart and, 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 and reach that moment? Because if you can, then we can go there again. If you can remember why we married in the first place, it's not just the external looks. It's not just the, because we were size 2 and now we're size 15. It's the inner depth that we are marrying. And that's what that bedecking is showing. But there's one more thing that's even deeper.
1: Before you, before you get to that, I just saw something on a, on a video here uh, with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Every Sunday, you know, people used to come to the Rebbe and have like a split moment with him. So someone had a little bit chutzpah. They brought to the Rebbe the Miss Israel, uh, the Miss, like the Miss America of Israel. And they brought her to the Rebbe and they brought her up to the Rebbe and... And then and, and they introduced her as the Miss Israel, you know. So, so the, you know, the Rebbe didn't uh, miss a beat, as he usually did, never did. Um, he, he says, he tells the girl, he says, you know what King Solomon said? He said, beauty, sheker hachem, beauty is deceitful, the hevel ha and and the nonsense of, 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 of gorgeousness. Isha Yerat Hashem, he did how a God fearing person, the inner qualities is what counts. He told, he told, he says, I want you to share this with all of your friends. And to tell them that yes, the outer beauty is one level, but the most important thing is the, is the inner qualities. And, and this, is, this I thought was a, was a tremendous thing. Yofi, what's Yofi? Yofi is the inner beauty. Let's just finalize. With with Dodi, my Dodi. Dodi. Not Dodo, Dodi. <laughs> Okay, what does Dodi mean? My beloved. My beloved. So, what what does beloved mean? Any quick thoughts on that? What do it mean when you say someone is beloved to you?
2: Cherish. 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 Exactly. Cherish and honor, um, lifting up the self esteem of our spouse, bringing them kavod, making sure that when they our spouse walks into the house, they're welcome. You're on the telephone, even when I love talking to my sis Mayash, but when my husband walks in. Actually, when her husband walks in, she hangs up, I hang up, and we never get to finish a conversation. And the joke is, I'm always like, when oh, Whenever I call you? Yossi walks in. And she says the same thing.
1: We ac- we actually We actually do this class to show that we cherish each other. That's one of the reasons we do it, because we we listen to each other we 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 someone said that the, the best thing of this class is to watch just how you interact that's even more important than the actual class itself so it's about cherishing each other i think that's an important thing that a husband and wife need to do we need to do exercises and making sure that there is there's, there's on, honor honor for each other i watch sometimes my father and mother uh, you know sitting by the table and i see how they after so many years they still give each other covid they still give each other <laughs> honor and respect. And I think that is, that is a very, very important thing. Okay, so- I'm going
2: to end off with a story of that uh, actually happened two years ago with a young Israeli man that was married about six months and he was drafted into the army. It was a Lebanese when they were attacking Israel north. And unfortunately, a bomb exploded and both of his legs were lost. And he's lying in bed there and he's been married six months. And he calls his wife after he, a couple of days and he says to her, my sweetie, my motek, I want to tell you that I'm giving you full permission to divorce me because when you married me, you didn't marry a young man without his legs. And she said to him very clearly, I married you for you, and I didn't marry you for your legs. We wish you had slacha on your marriage. May you grow from strands to twin.